Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 3. I'll be reading from John chapter 3, verses 25 to 30. And the children, ages 3 to 8, are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Liz Twitty this morning. In your pew Bibles, this passage of Scripture is found on page number 888. 888, John chapter 3, verses 25 to 30. And today's sermon is what's called a topical sermon. So I'll, I'll not be diving deep into the details of this particular passage, but I'm using it and really just the 30th verse as a springboard into a certain topic today, the topic of Reformation, and particularly Reformation theology. But I'll give you just a little bit of context. We're reading here about John the Baptist. And he was a preacher slash prophet preparing the way for Jesus. He's referred to oftentimes as the last Old Testament prophet. And he called for reform. He called for purification. In many ways, Martin Luther would be like John the Baptist who was calling for that reform, for purification. The Puritans... Also, from the Church of England, we're calling for a more pure, reformed uh, understanding of the church, for a more pure church. And so that's what we've got going on here in John chapter 3, verses 25 to 30. I'm reading from the ESV. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Of course, that's referencing the Lord Jesus there and his disciples who were doing the baptizing. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things now from this, Your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In a conversation that I was in this, just this past week, the, the question was asked, what is Reformed theology? Which certainly means it's appropriate for us to talk about because I would describe Third Presbyterian Church as a Reformed church. Now, the easy answer that's not helpful is to say, well, it's the theology that came out of the Reformation. Uh, that's like saying you can tell that an aspen tree is the way it is because of the way it looks. <laughs> it's not very helpful, but... That's an answer to it. The theology of the Reformation. Maybe a slightly better answer would be to say that it's the theology that became emphasized or clarified as a result of the Reformation in the 16th and 17th centuries. Again, still not really very helpful. Because the question would be, what is that theology? Or what are those doctrines that became emphasized and clarified in that time period? Well, that's the subject of today's sermon. And it's five points. 
Now, they're not the five points of Calvinism, which is kind of a different subject for a different time, but they're the five solas of the Reformation. S-O-L-A, sola, solas of the Reformation. Scott was referencing them in his Confession of Sin prayer. He, he mentioned it a couple different times there when he was introducing uh, and praying there in the, in the Confession of Sin. Reformed theology, in a sense, begins with the five solas of the Reformation. Now, you may be saying, all right, now what is a sola? And if you think back to your Latin, maybe you'll remember it. So, uh, it's the Latin, sola is the Latin word for alone or only. And the, if you had to come up with a word, just a single word that sort of summarized the Reformation, it would be that word only or alone. The church certainly believed in grace faith, Christ, but it had all become muddled and it wasn't grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And so Martin Luther and those who followed after him and even some who paved the way before him made that sort of the, the key issue in the Reformation. So only might be sort of the key word of the Reformation. These five points would be the key the uh, uh, would be the key uh, points, in a sense, uh, or pillars of the Reformation. If I had to pick a key verse, it would be this 30th verse of John chapter 3, where John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Because that is really what the Reformation is all about. You, me, decreasing, the Lord Jesus Christ increasing. God's glory increasing. And so forth. So that's what we're looking at today. And I want to try to answer the question, how then do we decrease? And I'll answer it with the five reformations. Number one, we decrease by understanding the Reformed doctrine of sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. That's the first point of, or the first sola of the Reformation. And it means Scripture alone. Scripture alone determines what it is that we are to believe about God, man, sin, salvation, heaven and hell, everything. And certainly the medieval church valued the Bible. They believed the Bible. They just didn't believe the Bible alone. The Roman church had placed church tradition, declarations by the Pope on the same level as the Bible. And Luther and others said, wait a second, hold on, that is not right. The Bible is our authority. The Bible is alone our highest authority. There's not an equal authority with it. That's the idea of Sola Scriptura. Now, it doesn't mean, understand, it doesn't mean that we discount, that we don't value um, and appreciate the saints who walked with God 50 years ago and 100 years ago and 500 years ago and 2,000 years ago. We should read them. We should learn from them. But they're not authoritative in our lives. The Bible, the Bible alone holds our conscience captive. And when you discover that you believe something that's contrary to the Scriptures, contrary to the Bible, then you and I, if I were in that boat as well, we have to change our beliefs to get in conformity with the Scripture. Now, when you discover you believe something contrary to church tradition, you don't have to change your beliefs. Now, it ought to give you pause 
to say, I'm believing something different that the church has believed for a long period of time. It ought to give you pause. And say, All right, let me give this a little more thought. Let me do some more study on this. But again, church tradition, it's not authoritative. The Bible alone holds our conscience captive. Now, in one sense, it's kind of simple and clear. It's all well and good. But it really gets at a deeper level. Um, it gets at a, a sin in our lives. What Scripture alone, sola scripture, what it does is it pushes back. It fights against the human tendency, the universal human tendency, really, to replace God's authority with human authority. That's what's going on when we don't hold to Scripture alone. So Scripture alone, solo Scripture, it destroys our pride. It means you're not the boss. It means I'm not the one who gets the final word. What I, who I am, what I believe about God, man, heaven, hell, sin, salvation, all these things, everything is submitted to the Bible. It's submitted to the Scriptures. It destroys pride, as I said. It destroys human authority. And, and I certainly think in modern times we can know that we are increasing human authority and decreasing Christ. When we end up saying things like, well, my philosophy professor says, or, you know, the majority of people today believe that, and then they explain how it's different from the Bible. Or when someone, especially a, a pastor type, someone like me says, well, what that verse really means is, or someone who says, well, I know what the Bible says to do, but, or maybe it's, Experiential. Somebody says, well, because of what happens, happens to me, I know that the Bible blank. That's when you're interpreting the Bible in light of your experience rather than at face value. Sola Scriptura addresses all of those. It puts those in their proper place. It decreases man. It decreases human authority. And it increases Christ. It strips us of pride. Sola Scriptura says... Not my truth, but the truth of Scripture. So, Sola Scripture is important. It's one of the key founding principles, foundation, found, uh, pillars of the Reformation. Don't let it go too far. Appreciate tradition. Read, read the saints of old. Learn from them. Let it challenge your thinking. Respect church leadership, certainly. And many descendants of the Reformation... We've done that where we don't appreciate tradition. We don't respect church leadership. We don't respect anything that's, that's, that's old. But to, do keep in mind that the Bible alone is the highest authority in our lives. Scripture alone, sola scriptura. Second, how can we decrease self? By understanding sola gratia, which means grace alone. This idea of sola gratia teaches us that if you have anything, it is because God gave it to you. Which, interesting, this verse, um, this passage that we read this morning, it does have a very clear verse here uh, that speaks to this. John the Baptist answered in verse 27, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He's saying that everything that you have, everything that I have, 
If I'm still breathing at the end of this sentence, and if you're still breathing at the end of this sentence, that is a gift from the Lord. It is His grace that gives you this ability to even still be here because I already finished the sentence. I said you might not be here at the end of the sentence. It's God's grace in His grace alone. And that includes a right relationship with God. If you have a right relationship with God, if you are a part of the people of God, salvation is yours. That is a gift from the Lord. You know, most all Christians today will, will believe that God provides us jobs. He provides, you know, He worked out, you know, with the seller that we were able to get this particular house. And, you know, He, he provided this job or this, you know, family or whatever. And, and certainly those are gifts from the Lord. But then people will say, but in the spiritual realm, God is kind of hands off. He leaves the final decision of your relationship with God with you. Sola gratia teaches no. Even your relationship with God is a gift from Him, His grace. Everything that you have, including a love for God, if you have a love for God and a fear of God, that itself even is a gift from Him. Your salvation is not your decision, but God's. And sola gratia teaches us that we're not not just sick in our sin, but actually dead in our sins. Therefore, it takes a supernatural act of God to give us life. So once again, you see that, that one of these solas strikes at our pride. Sola Scriptura fights against the pride of human authority. Sola Gratia fights against the pride of humanism, the belief that, that man is inherently good, that he has the ability to choose God on his own. I've told this story before, but it's the story of a PCA pastor who tells the story of being in R.C. Sproul's home back in the 1970s. And he was sitting on the floor in the living room uh, and a group of, at the time, mostly college students, they were having a, a theological discussion about whether or not God initiates a relationship with us um, by His grace, of course, or He establishes that relationship with us in response to our seeking Him. And a college girl was there who said she didn't believe that God initiated that, but God was, in a sense, waiting and would respond on us. The ball was in our court. To which R.C. asked her the question, so what's the difference between you and your roommate? And she said, well, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and, and she hasn't. And then R.C. said, why did you accept Christ? And she said, well, because I repented of my sins. R.C. asked, well, why did you repent of your sins? And she said, because I humbled myself before God. Well, then why did you humble yourself before God? And, of course, everybody realized eventually where this was going. They all realized that to believe that I took the first step toward God in my relationship with Him meant that ultimately I had to believe that in some way, deep down in my soul, I was a little bit better than the other one. I was more humble, or I was smarter, or I was more open to God. Sola gratia destroys that. It destroys that pride, that belief that, that I'm the decision maker in my relationship with God. That's the way you decrease self, is by understanding sola gratia. Third, 
How can we decrease self? By understanding sola fide. Sola fide. F-I-D-E. This gets to the issue of how a person is right with God. Most people answer the question, we're right with God by being good people. In a sense, He rewards us according to our good deeds. The Reformation said, no, no, no. Faith alone. That's sola fide. Faith alone. In other words, it's not my works, but it's Christ's work. I can never do enough good works. My only hope is the work of Jesus. My efforts can never merit or earn God's favor. They can never merit heaven. It's a gift from the Lord. Um, Reverend Frank Barker, who was the founding pastor of Briarwood Church many years ago, I remember him uh, multiple times using the illustration uh, that get, got to the heart of this issue of faith alone. He he would tell the story and say that, um, let's pretend three men were standing before God in heaven. And the first one uh, is, is asked by the Lord, why should I let you into heaven? And the guy says, well, I've been a really good person. And so the Lord says to him, then, so essentially what you're saying is that you stand on your record. Yeah, that's right. I've, I've been a really good person. I stand on my record. To which God says, well, that's why Jesus came. Because your record can never be good enough. He came to give you a perfect record. If you're standing on your record... Away with you. Second man then is asked by the Lord, why should I let you into heaven? And the first person, uh, the second man then says, well, because I believe in Jesus and I've been a good person. So it's both. So you're standing on Jesus then and you're standing on your record. That's right. Well, that's inconsistent. And again, your record is not good enough. Third man is asked, why should I let you into heaven? And he says, I stand 100% on the record of Jesus Christ. That's my only hope. To which God says, welcome. Welcome home. So sola scriptura. It fights against the pride of human authority. Sola gratia fights against the idea of human goodness. Sola fide fights against the pride of human ability. Self-righteousness even. And I love one of the parables of Jesus that really gets to this. It's found in Luke chapter 18. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I'm going to read it from a more modernized version, beginning in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now some will say, rightly, that works are important, and indeed they are. They just aren't meritorious. They don't earn you standing before God. 
you know, if you wanted to try to play golf on the PGA Tour, you have to earn your tour card. You have to perform well in what's essentially like the minor leagues, or you have to perform well at, at, at um, Q school, qualifying school. It's all based on performance. So, Sola Fide says it's not based on your performance. You can never perform well enough. Your only hope is Christ. Number four, how can we decrease self? By understanding Solus Christus, which means Christ alone. By understanding Christ alone. Certainly one of the major, one of the major critiques of Catholicism during the Reformation was that it, it was undermining the sufficiency of the work of Christ. The work of Jesus, His death on the cross was not sufficient. It was not enough to save, make people right in their relationship with God. It had to be combined with other acts, other good deeds, maybe other mediators even. But the battle cry of Solus Christus was more than a response to Rome, although it was that. It argues that Christ and Christ alone is the only way to heaven. There are no other saviors. It's not Christ plus me being a good disciple. It's not Christ plus being baptized or taking communion. It's not Christ plus me being purged of my sins in some way. It's not Christ plus some other gods. It's not Christ plus anything. It's not even Christ plus my faith because Christ saves us. It's faith that grabs hold of Christ, but your faith is not what saves you. To which you should say, thank the Lord for that because some days you have some strong faith days and other times you have some weak faith days. It's Christ who saves, not even our faith. As a matter of fact, B.B. Warfield, who was a um, professor at Princeton Seminary many years ago, said, the saving power of faith resides not in itself, but in the Almighty Savior on whom it rests. It is not faith that saves, he said, but faith in Jesus Christ. So what Christ accomplished was a full salvation as opposed to doing a partial work and then you've got to add something to it. Again, this is sola, solus Christus and, and it deals a death, death blow to pride because solus Christus teaches us that we don't add anything to our salvation. One of the hymns that we sing is Rock of Ages and there's a line in it we sing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And then finally, how can we decrease self? By understanding the doctrine of soli Deo Gloria, which means to the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. God gets all the credit. Only God is to be glorified. My salvation, my relationship with Him has nothing to do with me. It's not for me or my glory. It is all about Him. One article said, If we are saved by God's grace, the Reformers insisted that all glory must therefore go to God and not to man. And we should in turn glorify God in all aspects of our lives. In our worship, also in our vocations. It is about letting go of our glory and living for God's glory. 
So again, here this idea, soli deo gloria, it fights against our pride. Whereas sola scriptura fights against our pride, the pride of human authority. Sola gratia fights against our pride, the pride of human goodness. Sola fide fights against the pride of human ability. Sola solus Christus fights against the pride of human contribution. Soli Deo Gloria fights against pride, period. Certainly the, Rome, the, uh, the solas are thought to be a counter to Roman Catholicism, and certainly that was uh, the big issue at that particular time, but even more so, they are a counter to your heart, to my heart, to our pride, to want to get some credit in some way, even the smallest way, for being in a right relationship with God. The solas make Christianity unique. The solas, the solas show us that Christianity doesn't like a religion that any human being would make up. Because any human being is going to give themselves somehow an ability to get some credit. But it increases God, these solas do. And it decreases you. It de- decreases me. And that, I think, might be just a reason to believe that Christianity is from God after all. He must increase, but I must decrease. May that be the case for each of us even this week. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for saints of old who have clarified what the gospel is. And it really is good news. Being all about You and what You have done, not about us at all. Lord, I pray we would more and more understand and appreciate the truth, the truths that Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone are, be, are to be the foundations upon which our lives are built. I pray this for each one of us, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. We'll stand together and sing as a hymn of response in Christ alone.
And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.